Feast of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Hello and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, and it is great to be here with you today discussing matters related to worship, theology, and culture. I've sort of been on a roll and have not skipped uh, the past few weeks of recording this podcast, and so here I am again today. And um, what I'm going to do today is uh, certainly a theological uh, topic. Uh, I'm really going to... um, give you an exposition of a scripture that has spoken to my heart recently, and it's one that is uh, very familiar to most people who have been Christians for any length of time. Um, And this is found in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And it really spoke to my heart because I started seeing this passage perhaps in a different light than I usually do. And that's the beautiful thing about scripture to me is you can read it I don't know how many times I read through the Bible every year, and I don't know how many times. First of all, there are several places in the Bible. Obviously, when you read through the Bible in a year, um, there are certain passages that you are not going to spend incredible amounts of time exegeting. I mean, you're just trying to read to get the reading in, um, you know, and I think that's beneficial. Um, but there are passages, for example, in the old Testament that I often forget. And I, I go back and, oh yeah, I forget. I remember that, that I read that at one point, but I forgot that it's there. Um, but one of the things I like about scripture is that uh, there are passages and verses that I read over and over and over again that I've read for years. And all of a sudden one day I read it and it just something clicks and I see it in a different light than I've seen it. And that's what's amazing to me. And I truly believe that is the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that is the human mind that is doing that. I believe that is the Holy Spirit that is altering the way that I think about these uh, scriptures. And I think he does that for other people too. And uh, it's not to say that the previous way I saw the scripture is incorrect. That's not at all what I am saying. What I'm saying is that perhaps the Holy Spirit sheds new light on that scripture. It's the same text. It's the same thing I've read, but maybe something pops out that didn't before. And so uh, let me read this. Luke 37 verses 36 through 50. And this is the story of the sinful woman that is forgiven. Um One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, Uh, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had two debtors, uh, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There, there is a lot to unpack in this passage, honestly. Uh, I mean, when you look at um, what, what Simon, the Pharisee, I mean, the fact that he, he said uh, um, that the passage, and, and Luke is, is careful to point out some of these details. Uh, for example, he says that, that Simon said to himself, if this man were a prophet, so on and so forth. So he says that to himself, and Jesus perceives his thoughts. Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh, so there's a lot in this passage. Um, so let, let me get into this. This is a fundamental belief of the Christian faith, and that's the exceeding and incomprehensible love of God in Jesus Christ. And so the Gospels, all four Gospels, detail the life and ministry of Christ on earth and are replete with instances which convey the matchless love and care of Jesus. And so this account here is one of those accounts. And it, it details this experience at dinner with the Pharisee in which Jesus declares forgiveness upon this woman who was apparently known by all as a wretched sinner. And so underneath the surface, the story uh, reveals Jesus' love for everyone. The service level might seem to indicate that he, he reveals his love for only the woman, but it really reveals his love for everyone, including the Pharisee who invited him to dinner. And so in this account, the truth is born that whether respected or, respected or despised, no matter what, Jesus loves and offers forgiveness to everyone equally because everyone is equally in need of his mercy. And so I'm going to unpack this account, and I think it's beneficial in clarifying the gospel truth and understanding the questions that may arise from this text. And there's three primary imperatives that I'm going to offer from this ver these verses that I think stem from the overarching truth of Jesus' great love for everyone. And the first uh, point, the first imperative is that Jesus' concern is for everyone, not just the woman. And so in the text here, uh, the Son of God is invited to dinner by this Pharisee, by Simon. You learn his, his name later in the passage. And Jesus' uh, heated encounters with the Pharisees throughout the gospel accounts could spawn the question of why uh, was he invited in the first place and why did he accept the invitation? And the text doesn't really suggest either reason, but it's clear that perhaps contrary to popular opinion— Jesus' concern is not only for the despised and the hurting in the world, but also for the seemingly respected and dignified. A, a Pharisee would certainly fit that description. Jesus doesn't neglect his ministry to every person with whom he interacts, but he embraces any opportunity to love everyone. And so uh, his act, uh, again, Luke 
um, points out some of these details that you might read and go, well, what's the importance of that? It's in the Bible, so it's important. And he says that he reclines at the table. His act of reclining at the table is apparently significant to Luke. He wouldn't have put it in there if it wasn't. Luke, a physician by trade, finds the likely cultural practice of reclining at the table significant. This is probably something that was pretty common when someone went to dinner. Now, they sat on the floor around a table. They didn't have chairs. And so he probably reclined as probably anyone else would. And while the text does not suggest why Jesus reclines at the table during dinner, it could be that the practice is normal in that culture. And so his action is indicative of his desire to love and to be found with all in need of him. In other words, everyone, not just the wretched sinner, not just the woman. She gets the focus of the story, but we need to understand why Luke puts these these other details in the account. Okay? It is very easy to say, well, Jesus hung out with prostitutes and uh, tax collectors, people that were despised, and forget that he also loves everyone. And so said another way, Jesus accepts the invitation to the Pharisee's house for dinner and engages in a culturally appropriate, uh, appropriate practice and, in essence, reveals his love for everyone, not only those who are hurting, broken, and needy. Uh, the Pharisees were known as perhaps the most religiously devout Jews in the New Testament world. In fact, a position as a Pharisee was likely a coveted position. And so while the New Testament often seems to portray Pharisees in a negative light, a Pharisee was a man who was respected among his peers and in society in general, not necessarily because of his character, but because of his status as a Pharisee. And so Jesus often has harsh words for the, the Pharisees and rebukes them. Uh, Matthew 23, 16, and 17 is a, uh, an example among other references in the New Testament. If the entirety of the New Testament is not considered, we could easily conclude that Jesus ex exuded disdain and hatred toward the Pharisees. But the account here in Luke exposes a God who cares not only for those who are despised and rejected in the world, but also those who are among the most respected and the most dignified. And what I'm saying here is that external factors are not connected to Jesus' love for humanity. Luke's account here supports that fact. And we could glance over all these other details and just look, read the story and say, oh, he loves the woman, but forget that he loves everyone. Uh, furthermore, the story here in Luke describes Jesus' concern for the woman. Okay, so now we get into his love for the woman. The author here is careful to point out the sinfulness of the woman in verse 37. Luke's claim is significant in that the New Testament and even Jesus himself continuously remind readers that all are sinful. Paul himself says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so you might wonder why the woman's sinfulness is highlighted in the passage. <laughs> it says that, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. It refers to her as a sinner. So why is that highlighted if everyone is a sinner? You're like, yeah, that's a given. Everyone's a sinner. And while the text doesn't specify why the, why the woman's sinfulness is drawn from everyone else in the story, it could be uh, that her sinfulness is unique in that she is known in the community as exceptional in her sin, perhaps a prostitute. 
Luke's point, however, is not the degree of sin that the woman has committed, but the fact that she is known as a sinner and despised and rejected because of that status. Jesus shows great love and compassion for her in the midst of a respected Pharisee and likely his dignified company at dinner. Jesus reveals great care and concern. And so Jesus' love for both the woman and the Pharisee remind the reader that the Son of God's love for people is not connected to any external factors, whether rich or poor, despised or rejected, or one of great or little sin. Jesus loves his people equally. Luke's narrative in this passage offers readers a glimpse into into the magnificent love of God through Jesus Christ. And so God's love uh, truly can't be described uh, to its fullest by human, human words. And so Jesus' actions in the story give us the twofold truth that Jesus' love is offered to everyone, no matter the external factors, and that everyone is equally in need of his mercy. The Pharisee was equally as in need of mercy as the woman. Whether he realizes it or not in the story, he is equally as separated from God as the sinful woman and in need of the grace of God. And Jesus shows his love for the Pharisee in having dinner with him, and that that's his way of ministering to him in that instance, and for the woman in, forgiving, uh, in, in his forgiving actions toward her. And so whether rejected or despised, Jesus loves everyone And offers forgiveness to everyone equally because everyone is equally in need of his mercy. So that's the uh, first imperative from this passage is that Jesus' concern is for everyone. The second imperative is that great forgiveness demands great love. So the author describes the sinful woman's actions which seem to be derived from her brokenness, her humility, and realization of her own sin. And so this woman might have intended to anoint Jesus' head. Uh, but began to sob out of a sober realization of her sin and thus began to wipe her own tears from Jesus' feet with her hair. And, And he says she didn't cease to do that. She continued to do that. And her understanding of her own sin precedes the forgiving act of Jesus. Okay, so additionally, Jesus unfalteringly connects forgiveness and love. He says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, he who is forgiven little, loves little. That's in verse 47. In essence, someone's love for God is dependent upon his or her reception of forgiveness from God. Luke's details of the sinful woman are significant in revealing someone who is repentant and therefore forgiven. And so the woman's action offended the Pharisee. The woman's actions offended Simon, and he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. Now, this is ironic because he says this to himself. It's as if Jesus perceives his thoughts And he responds to him because of his thoughts. That's what's ironic here. What Simon, the Pharisee, offers here is an untrue belief because Jesus is divine. And in his divinity, he certainly knows who the woman is and everything about her. And in fact, has in mind to forgive her as revealed later in the text. It's also ironic because as you read it, it says that Simon says this to to himself. Jesus perceives his thoughts and responded. So he responds to 
what Simon said to himself. Uh, Simon thinks that if he had known who this woman is, well, obviously he knows who she is. And not only that, but he knows what he is thinking. <laughs> Luke's gospel then stresses Simon's claim as untrue next to the truth of what Jesus says and does. And so lest we think of Jesus' words and distort them to mean that some people are forgiven more than others, and we could, you know, you could read that and think that, but in the context of the account, it presents us with both Jesus' love for the woman and for the Pharisee. So Jesus' words are likely a reminder that everyone is equally deserving of punishment, but forgiven to a great degree. This is not to suggest that individual human sins cannot vary in degree. Paul, for example, references himself as the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. And so sins don't, it's not to say that sins can't vary in degree and consequence, but rather that all sin separates humanity from God equally. So Jesus proceeds to give a parable. He often speaks in parables. And the purpose of the parable is evidently to emphasize his point to Simon, those present with him in that setting, and the readers of the account. So Simon's, Simon answers correctly in his knowledge that the one in the parable who was forgiven more also loved more. And so the sinful woman interacting with Jesus in Luke's account is obviously represented by the one who has been forgiven much in the parable. According to Jesus' words, the quantity of one's love for God is suggestive of his or her realization of the depth of forgiveness granted. So the sinful woman's state of being forgiven is preceded by her repentant heart and actions which reveal this repentance. Jesus then offers her incredible forgiveness, which offends the Pharisees. So he proceeds to offer a parable uh, to, to the Pharisee. And it, in doing so, he allows his hearers to see the correct perspective. So the woman's actions reveal that great forgiveness demands great love. Jesus, however, clarifies this truth in the parable he tells. While the woman holds a reputation as a wicked sinner, she's also forgiven to the same degree, and therefore she's grateful. And whether Simon realizes it or not, he is also equally in need of God's mercy. And Jesus, in making his point known to his hearers, concurrently offers the same level of forgiveness to all who would receive him, a derivative of Jesus' forgiveness. And I think even that the, indeed the fruit thereof is one's love toward towards Jesus manifested in obedience to him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And so that the fruit of forgiveness is our action. The fruit of the woman's being forgiven was her action, how she loved Jesus. So Jesus here offers bountiful forgiveness to the sinful woman and also to the Pharisee, both of whom are in desperate need of it. So that's the uh, second imperative. The, um, uh, the third imperative is that salvation is by faith alone. Now, this is something that we say and preach quite a bit. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think we forget what we're saying. Do we truly believe it? Luke's account of the sinful woman might initially seem to suggest that the woman's actions save her, but it is her faith that saves her, which Jesus reveals in verse 50. In other words, the woman's actions should be considered a derivative of her faith. And so the truth portrayed from the text then is that salvation is by faith alone. 
one of the basic tenets of the Christian faith and a foundational cry of the Reformation, faith alone stands uh, as that which salvation is granted to all believers. So faith alone is is the cry from the Reformation and, and certainly from the New Testament era that we are saved by grace through faith alone. So being careful not to disconnect the effect of works, it should be clear that while works themselves don't save the woman, her actions are conceived by her faith. Luke's text here seems to follow a reverse linear trajectory moving from action to salvation to faith. Uh, The woman, first, in realization of her sin, takes a repentant position and humbly anoints Jesus while weeping and wiping his feet with her hair. She is then forgiven by the Lord, and finally, Jesus declares that her faith has saved her. So, the effect of her faith, therefore, is salvation to which she responds with action. In other words, the woman is grateful and expresses gratitude by her act of anointing Christ. The woman loves much because she is forgiven much, as Jesus says in verse 47. Her faith, however, is what what her salvation comes from through Christ alone. And so Luke's account additionally clearly alludes to his own divinity by declaring the woman's sins forgiven. Even those present at this dinner wonder who Jesus is. Luke writes that they ask themselves, who is this who even forgives sins in verse 49? Jesus does not neglect declaring his divinity throughout the Gospels. This account is one such instance where he places himself as co-equal with God the Father by forgiving sin. Declaring the woman's sins forgiven is a miraculous act, but it's one that apparently caught the attention of many people, including the author of Luke's gospel. And it's significant enough an instance that Luke desires to include it in his perspective, but also that those present at dinner begin to speak amongst themselves. The power to forgive may only come from God himself because it's it's a divine act, and so no human can replicate it. Jesus authoritatively forgives the woman's sin and divulges the fact in doing so that he is co-equal with God. And he, in fact, is God. As part of the triune God, he is God the Son. So the gospel truth that salvation is by faith alone is revealed in Luke's text here, but it also points to the one in whom faith must be placed, namely Jesus Christ. The sinful woman, repentance of sin, and with complete faith in Jesus, acts in response to who he is. And while Jesus' verbal declaration of forgiveness appears later in the text and after the woman's act of faith, it shouldn't be forgotten that Jesus says, one who loves little has been forgiven little, in verse 47. In the same verse, however, Jesus uh, says that the woman's sins are forgiven. Okay, He, He says, for she loved much. And that's why she's forgiven. And so in reading that, you might assume that the woman was forgiven because of her great love shown to Christ, contradicting the truth of the passage that faith alone saves. So to properly interpret this statement in verse 47, the reverse linear context of the passage should be considered. As the passage moves from action to salvation to faith, when faith is really first, then salvation, then action. 
that the, the passage is a reverse linear uh, trajectory. But this person, this portion of verse forty-seven, needs to be considered in the same manner, because the woman's uh, the woman's act of love is in response to what she has been forgiven. In fact, the English translation of the Bible seems to separate for she loved much from the rest of the statement, perhaps to highlight the sequence of events in recognition that she was first forgiven and then acted upon that in response to it. So as the sinful woman was forgiven much, believers should place themselves as the characters in the story, either the the, the Pharisee or the woman probably. Uh, truly, both the woman and the Pharisee are equally in need of Christ, and while their sins are different and perhaps even viewed differently among their peers, they are nonetheless separated from God because of their own evil hearts. The encouraging truth revealed in Luke's passage here is that salvation is by faith alone in God the Son, Jesus Christ. The woman understands this truth and acts accordingly because she is forgiven greatly. So Luke's passage is... Uh, reveals Jesus' love for all people, whether respected or despised. And really, it offers the fruit of great forgiveness, namely great love. One who has been forgiven much will, in effect, love much. And this forgiveness comes only by faith. We're not forgiven apart from faith. Only through faith in Christ are believers the recipients of exceeding forgiveness from God. Jesus' acceptance of Simon's invitation to dinner reminds readers uh, that perhaps, contrary to popular opinion, Jesus loves even the respected and dignified. You often hear people talking about, and, and they think they're being prophetic and saying, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. And yes, he certainly does love great sinners, but we're all great sinners, realize it or not. The common thought might be that Jesus loves the despised, rejected, and reputably sinful more than the opposite. But Jesus' love extends beyond the realm of human understanding and is irrespective of external factors. Jesus, in fact, loves everyone equally regardless of of what one has or has not done. And so Luke's account here provides insight into the depths of Jesus' love for all people and reminds readers that whether respected or despised, Jesus loves and offers forgiveness to everyone equally because everyone is equally in need of his mercy. I hope this has been a good reminder to you of the exceeding love of, the, of Jesus Christ that we have in him and the forgiveness that we've been offered that, that we can't even begin to explain. I know I am thankful for that. I'm not thankful just that God is a God of a second chance, but that he's the God of another chance because he should have been done with me a long time ago. And I think uh, many people can relate to that. So hopefully this has been helpful and beneficial and encouraging to you. And so I want to thank you for listening to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Did it